This is the Biblical Mind Podcast, produced by the Center for Hebraic Thought. Honest five-star reviews help others find this podcast. Visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org for articles and videos that explore the deep structures of Scripture. So my name is Gift Mtukwa and I, I'm actually not Kenyan, I'm from Zimbabwe. So my tribe, my tribe is actually Shona, uh, uh, the Shona people of Zimbabwe. So my, how I, I function in Kenya uh, is in a way as a pastor, when I was a pastor, uh, it was easy because in a way I was, uh, I could be seen as neutral <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. and I, 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 we could build a more multi-cultural community in our church rather than mm-hmm. just uh uh, you know, there are some churches that you go to, depending on who the pastor is, you can have more people from that tribe that the pastor comes from uh, than, mm-hmm. say, um, if a pastor is, say, from outside. So, in a way, it worked for my to my advantage that uh, we I was able to. But we also did some things in the church that kind of helped to actually show that uh, the church is not just for one tribe. Uh, so, even from the leadership, we we intentionally ensured that uh, when someone came to our church and saw who the leaders are, they would see that uh, it represents a variety of different communities. So, yeah, yeah, that's what I would say concerning and, uh, tribe and yeah. uh, how that functions in church, yes. And you say, you use the word multicultural, which I know for American ears, they will hear that in very distinct, like, oh, that means white versus uh, Southeast Asian versus Central Asian versus African American. Okay. Uh, but I'm going to guess that you mean if I walked into the church, I would see what Americans would identify as all black people, all African. Definitely, yes. Black. And, and there, is, yeah. there is a history actually to that, that, you know, when, when Western missionaries came, uh, they worked in different, in various places uh, where mm. they didn't know at that time that they were mostly working in a one tribe. So there are some churches that you can identify today and say this church belongs to this particular tribe. So yes, what you're saying is very mm. correct. That um, uh, uh, y- you would walk into the congregation and see all black people, but they all have different tribes. So mm. like here in Kenya, just the tribes that are here are about forty-two tribes. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, maybe forty-three or forty-three or forty-four. I, I think uh, Liz and Buru told me that they've added Indians as another tribe. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's forty-three now. Yeah. yeah. So in a way, uh, but. It's, it's a very, very multicultural. So we can say, you know, it's a very uh, different ethnic groups uh, in Kenya. Yeah. Yeah. And you say that you felt that this is so important that you started with the leadership, that people would see leaders from different tribes involved uh, in guiding the church. Yes. Yeah. Why, uh, biblically, why is this so important? So uh, maybe I'll start with the culture itself. Uh, that, mm. you know, people feel like they belong when they see their their person uh, in the leadership. Uh, but if they come and they just find people from a certain tribe, then they will actually label your church. Oh, that is a, I can just use an example, a Luo church. Mm-hmm. Or they will just right. say, maybe that's a Kikuyu church. Yeah. Um, but if they come and they find that the, tri- the leadership is diverse, then they will actually see that, uh, this church is actually uh, um, is, is actually for all people, and we are all welcome. So yes, 
uh, uh, that's kind of how just things are in a way. And uh, you see that even playing out in politics that uh, when people choose people, they always want their person to be in power. Um, so now uh, when it comes to, to, to leadership in the church, of course, we go more with the giftings that God has given people. Um, but at the same time, you know, we have to be intentional because sometimes, sometimes uh, um, we have to detect, intentionally develop people in the areas that God has gifted them so that they can actually start functioning that way rather than just go to those who maybe would come easily like as the, as the people who should be in leadership simply because uh, they are more vocal uh, or, you know, mm-hmm. everybody would just easily go to them because uh, uh, they stand out. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a process. You really have to, to develop people, uh, take time to, to, to bring them to a place where they can actually function as leaders uh, so that, mm-hmm. you know, and then, like, for us, we were voting leaders. So even the way you make the ballot, you, 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 mm-hmm. if, if you put, you know, like if you have more people from one ethnic group, and you put uh, different tribes within that ballot, then the person from this, the tribe that is the majority would certainly win. Not because they are the most mm. spiritual person, <laughs> but simply right. because there are more people from their community. So you have to be very strategic in how you make even the ballot uh, so that the ballot mm. itself uh, can produce, you know, um, uh, leaders, you know, who are diverse. Yeah. I, so if just if I ask you some basic questions that might s- sound stupid, <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> um, just to make sure we all understand when you say tribe, uh, we're, we're speaking mostly of genetic people who are born within a certain people group. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Yes. Okay. So would you distinguish your Zimbabwean? So I assume even for you, it probably took a little while to learn the different tribes and to learn the distinguishing features of each tribe. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. So just like me, you kind of had to look around the room and I was teaching in Kenya and I remember having some pastors telling me like, oh, this guy's obviously Luo. He's obviously Kukuo. This guy's obviously Maasai. Yes. And I'm looking at them going... <laughs> I don't understand why this is awesome. So, yeah, how is that for you, learning all of these different tribal differences? Yeah. So, of course, you know, there are tribes that would stand out. For instance, you know, if you come to Kenya, easily everybody, every visitor would know a Maasai uh, right, if, if right. they still are wearing the traditional uh, clothing. So they would stand out, right? And then uh, as you go on, yeah, uh, as you stay longer, then you begin to know the names. So different communities have different names. So for instance, if I hear the name Maghetto, I would know straight away that's a Kisi, right? If I hear the name Onyango, I would know straight away that's, that's a Luo. If I know, hear the name uh, Mbugo, I would know that's a Kikuyu. So that has come over time because, you know, I've lived in Kenya now since 2002. Um, mm. I did my undergraduate here, so, and, and, and even a master's. So I, I, I have lived here since I was a student and then uh, my work life also pretty much here. So yes, uh, with time, uh, I've gotten to know the, you know, the, um, even sometimes the features, uh, some, you know, distinct right. features that people have, you know, um, uh, but 
that's even Kenyans that do that very well, very easily themselves. So if they cannot classify something, someone tribally, they cannot profile them tribally, then they would think they are from coast because I think I think most Kenyans don't know much. I think about the people from coast. So if they can't profile you, so like for me, uh, when I, when they are trying to profile me, they would think maybe I'm from the coast uh, of Kenya in Mombasa. Hmm. Um, right, Mombasa, yes, because where it's hot those and where there's a lot more mixing. Inland in Kenya don't know quite a lot about the people from the coast. So if they don't know, if if you don't fit the normal profile, then you come from there. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. So yeah, with time you get um, to know. Yeah, I it, it, I I found it very confusing, but uh, everybody seems so sure about it. And you know, certain tribes have certain personalities. I remember, you know, like these people think they're better than everybody else, and I never knew how to weigh these different judgments. Yes, yes, yes. Though, of course, you know, <laughs> some of the stereotypes. I think we have in a way to debunk them because uh, again, like for instance, yeah. they would say these people they love money, but you know, as you get to know people, you're like, you know what? I don't really see a difference. <laughs> we all we all need mm, money, right? <laughs> You know, right, some right. people, you know, because of their cultural, uh, you know, background, maybe they're more entrepreneurial, so they look for opportunities. And so because they right. are outgoing like that, then people say they love money. But, you know, it's um, it's, it's some of the stereotypes. Uh, uh, some some of them have to be challenged as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think uh, in some ways this is mildly comforting. Uh, you know, I was thinking of as a pastor, oh, it's the same everywhere. Like it doesn't matter if you're, if we were all the same skin color in America, we would still ma- find ways to make divisions, find ways to create clans. Definitely, and, definitely. And then cast dispersions about other clans. Yes, yeah. yes. So we are always accustomed to, you know, putting perimeters and, um, and then we make them even much smaller because, you know, even, <laughs> you know, we make groups uh, of like people and uh, and we keep making them, you know, smaller, rather and bigger. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if I could also ask, uh, what do you feel like as the average Kenyan Christian, uh, what's their impression of Muzungu, which uh, are, you know, the what we know in America is the gringos, the, the white church uh, that comes from Europe and in the Americas. Um, I think I, uh, some of the things that they probably think about is uh, the fact that, you know, they, the white folks are rich, they have the money. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is true, we should point out. <laughs> Even the poorest white people in yeah. the West are, are doing really well compared to many yeah. people. In, so sometimes it becomes even a hindrance to, like, for instance, mission, because uh, once you have, you know, a white person in your congregation, so because I was pastoring a church in the campus of African Nazarene University here in Nairobi, and uh, so some of mm-hmm. our missionaries uh, in the Church of Nazarene, some of them would attend our church. So some, everybody would think, you know, because we have these white people come to our church, therefore mm. uh, we shouldn't have to give because they should give all the money because they have it, you know. And mm. uh, so um, it, 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 you, then you have to do more teaching uh, so that people can realize that they have a part to play. And even the whole issue of missionaries, who should be a missionary? And right now in our, in our church, uh, we actually, you know, at the time bringing in African missionaries. Uh, so the perception people have is that, you know, the missionaries are the Wazungus. And so we, we mm. again having to change that as well, that perception of a, a white person being the, the missionary, being the person with, who is the donor. 
And uh, so we have one of our district superintendents who says, you know, now we are the donors <laughs> and, uh, mm. and, and we have to fund the mission uh, in a way. Um, yeah. And, and where, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to talk over no, you there. Fine, um, and where, um, as far as, as you as a sending missionary church now in East Africa, where are the, the targets of opportunity for you? Like, where do you look in Africa and say, oh, we need to send missionaries there? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're having a lot of growth in the, especially in West Africa, places like Benin, Togo, especially mm-hmm. the north, the northern parts of the West African countries, uh, Central Africa as well, the predominantly Muslim countries. Uh, we right. have, in, in fact, if we look at the statistics of the growth of our church, uh, it has been mostly in those places. Um, uh, right now, actually, our leader for the Church of the Nazarene uh, in Africa, uh, the regional director is actually from Senegal, and uh, Senegal has uh, less than ten percent Christian. So, so you can, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's such a huge success, you know, that um, considering how long we've been there, and uh, that mm-hmm. we are now producing leaders who can lead the church at the regional regional level. So, uh, we are excited about the growth that's taking place there and the kind of leaders that uh, the church is developing. Uh, in that part of in that part of the world, so where the church has been the longest, uh, it is the place where it's also not growing. You know, it's it's almost like there is a it has um, stopped growing. So we don't see we don't mm. hear big numbers as we we do in places like uh, Sudan and uh, Central Africa mm. and uh, West Africa. Yeah. Going back to the issue of uh, the multicultural church and how you kind of identify that as a very important factor for uh, even where you're at um, in Nairobi, um, you're a Paul scholar, uh, so I take it you know Paul's uh, letters very well and acts. Um, if if Paul could walk into your church and address this issue, I mean, you know, we we see Paul as somebody who tore down the walls between Gentile and Jew. Um, but then how far does it go down? I mean, do, do you feel that Paul has in his mind this clearly um, multi-generational, multicultural church? Or do you think that you could have like parallel worship? Like, would he see it as okay if you had one tribal church mm-hmm. that serves this tribe and then another tribal church that serves this tribe mm-hmm. and they're all doing well? Yeah, yes. And, and I think in a way that would come also uh, in your context where you normally have like the Latin church, right? Like uh, you have, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Uh, my, my opinion on that, or as I read the New Testament, I think we have to be one community, you know? Uh, we have to put up with our, with the different tests. If it's music, we have to put up with the different music from different people, mm. you know, uh, rather than just make church comfortable for us. I think, I think mm. Paul would, would, um, I mean, it was uncomfortable for the, for the Jews uh, to have to, to accommodate Gentiles and especially to eat meals with them uh, and not knowing where in the market they bought the the meat uh, mm. and not you know it was uncomfortable for them and and I think we have been accustomed to having church be comfortable for us. So, like you find a church in Nairobi, um, in the cosmopolitan city of Nairobi. Uh, that speaks a tribal language, 
you know, <laughs> and uh, and I have a problem with that. It's like no, that's I mean, it's okay if you go to a place like Moranga, which is like you know uh, the heart of the central province in Kenya, where predominantly the Kikuyus are, and if they can speak Kikuyu, okay. that's fine because the, 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 they are the only people who live there. Okay, but if it's in Nairobi, where someone can just walk in in your church, then and you're speaking a tribal language, I mean you're already saying if you don't speak this language, you're not welcome. You know. And so, so that's at right. the at the at the ethnic level. But there's also the social economic where sometimes people will choose uh, English. So be- English uh, would be spoken by people who are educated, who have gone to school. So their social economic mm-hmm. level would also be very high. So if you say you are going to have a church that speaks only English, in a way you're already having a class uh, um, mm-hmm. stratification, uh, saying you know the people who are at the lowest level of the social social economic status. They should not come to this church. So uh, when I was a pastor myself, uh, I, I we we had to make a decision to say we're going to translate our messages into Kiswahili because mm-hmm. we know that everybody will be able to speak Kiswahili. So we sp- would speak English uh, and then we would translate. So even up to today, that church still. Um, so you, it has va- I mean, it has people of all levels. You know, uh, you can mm-hmm. find uh, a lady who works for. The National Council of Science and Technology in Kenya, uh, who is a principal secretary there, uh, uh, worshiping in the same church with uh, a lady uh, who sells at the market, and I think that's the kind mm. of community that we should all be aiming uh, to, to develop. You know that uh, uh, we shouldn't just be saying, you know, a homogeneous congregation where people are all alike and they have, you know, they have the same tests and they all have uh, shop in the same area. You know. Um, yeah, but it has its own challenges, but we have to face them head on because mm. it's not easy to create um, the kind of community that God would want us to, to create. Yeah. It's and easy to create a social, a social I, club, you know? Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, because a social club. I think know? I think we're very familiar with that. <laughs> yeah, oh, you're familiar with that, yeah. <laughs> I've gone to a club oh, in Nairobi yes. where they say members only, and, uh, and sometimes mm. we can easily make church uh, like that, that it's only for members only, you know, and uh, that those members then are the same, yeah, and they pay membership. Yeah, and and Kenya has this. Well, it's not unique, but it's uh, very different from what Americans would be used to. Is you have two national languages, Kiswahili and, and English, and again, English is going to be what everybody learns at certain levels of education. Kiswahili is what's spoken. But then everybody might also have their own tribal language yes. that's spoken in their house or in their in, in their village or town. Um, yes, yes, or city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 very um, correct. And uh, and uh, you know, uh, yeah. If, if of course we sing songs, we will sing songs that are from different cultural groups, and that's fine. And uh, but mm-hmm. we wouldn't want uh, to only make one tribe feel, you know, like it's their church. It's I mean, it's the Church of Christ. And we all have been invited right. to, to to participate in it. Um, turning to some of your technical work in Paul, uh, I certainly want to ask you a question. Just reading uh, superficially on uh, one of the books you publish on Thessalonians, um, I'm really interested in this issue of uh, Paul saying, "If you don't work, you don't eat," uh, which I take it to be a riffing off of also the Proverbs there and. Um, why in your context, uh, and, and again, I've been in Western Kenya, um, why, you know, how do people hear that? Uh, 
And then um, how do you help correct their understanding and contextualize it so they, they don't mishear Paul? Uh, yes, part of what can happen with such a text is that uh, you can have people thinking that um, e- even people who, are, who don't have opportunities uh, for work, who are trying their best to feed their families, uh, dismissing them, saying, you know, what? Uh, if you do, the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat, you know. Uh, I think part of what we should do is to help them realize that Paul was speaking more uh, these remarks uh, to a church that was actually having communal meals uh, together mm. and saying, you know, uh, if if we are eating together, then you must you must bring something. You must uh, you must work so that you can eat and 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 that aspect of contribution. So, it, like I argue in my work, I think the African setting can hear that very very well because. Mm. Uh, um, you know, like in Kiswahili, there's a saying that says, uh, in a visitor, uh, three days and then the third, two days and then the third day you give them a hope. So in a way, you cannot be a visitor for, for a, for a long time. I mean, you, at some point you have got to start doing what everybody does, uh, and participate, mm-hmm. uh, 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 yeah, uh, in that. So, of course, I think, yes, we can apply these, these, uh, remarks to, uh, individual settings where you know if someone uh, is e- living their lives uh, in their family life, um, yes, we can apply. We can apply, but knowing that Paul was saying this to a community uh, in a way, uh, but so I'm su- suggesting that in our cultural context we have resources that we can draw on to hear this text, and uh, so that it can actually can speak speak to us and and shape us and shape shape the kind of community that that we built. I think the the issue that uh, has happened, especially uh, in because the governments in the West have pretty much taken what the church used to do, and sometimes you create mm. the situation in which there is a dependency syndrome, um, mm. because you know uh, when the government then does it, that the government doesn't qu- quite know in people like the way a church community would. So I would know Mr. Sorenso, uh, he doesn't work. And so, if I give him, if we give him, then we are in a way encouraging his behavior that he actually doesn't doesn't work. And I think uh, governments don't have capacity to know individuals. If some, if they say they have money, then people will run to get the money that is given for free rather than actually uh, working for themselves. Uh, so, in a way, we have to be careful how we do uh, charity work, and uh, that we don't create a situation in which people don't choose not to work because I think it's also unethical for someone to expect others to take care of them and they themselves are not contributing. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I want to return to that, the ethics of that as well. Uh, but just to contextualize, if you were to look across Kenya, thinking of the whole country, maybe not Nairobi or more affluent parts, but um, how often do people face um, shortages of food? Like how often would, you know, your typical f- farmer in the rural parts of Kenya, would they go without food? Um, so that would happen if there was drought. So if there's drought, then, uh, most of the people who live in the rural areas, the farmers would definitely, uh, be in need. And sometimes when there is, then the government has to come in with grain and provide grain to people who, uh, have not been able to harvest from their farms. 
Uh, but actually, a lot of poverty that we have is not in the rural areas as such. It's actually in the cities. Hmm. Um, hmm. It's, it's in the cities that people, that people life can really be difficult. Uh, because like in some of the places in the farm, I mean, the maize would come from the farm, the vegetables would come from the farm. So the only thing that they need right. uh, would be like, you know, money to take the maize to the mill uh, and maybe right. just a little maybe for sugar and cooking oil. Uh, so for the most part, right. you know, you it's not a money economy as such in the rural area as it is in the town. I mean, in, in the city, you don't have, a lot of people find themselves in slums. So they can't even grow vegetables for themselves. If they want to mm. take vegetables, they have to buy them. And so if they go to work, and some of them are casual laborers who have to show up today, uh, work today, get the, the work, and then, you know, it's hand to mouth. So if they don't get work, mm. then there is, uh, uh, there is it, I mean, it's a precarious situation. So what we have seen, especially with COVID, um, is, you know, how really difficult it is for, for families in urban areas. Uh, who who may not get work for one reason or another uh, to live. So, yeah, I, I would think actually that the people in the rural areas are, you know, in many ways, are better off than those who find themselves in right. cities. Yes, because those ones in the cities have run away from, from the rural areas, and so they've come to cities looking for better opportunities. But in many ways, some of them have left better life uh, mm. by coming to the city. So what do you do at this point? I mean, when you really have, like in Nairobi, you have a very large slum. Um, like, what can the church do to um, to help people who are who would actually want to work? I'm sure there is some some social psychology to it. Uh, after so long of not being able to work, you kind of give up and you start, you know, going into other uh, bad habits. But what what does the church generally do to step in in these places instead of the government if they or ideally what could they do even if they're not doing it right now yeah i think uh part of what the church uh, can do is to um to really t- help people find opportunities where they are and uh kind of bring some you know entrepreneurs who can come and help people to see what opportunities are there uh and so that mm. the people can uh, can then uh, maybe not necessarily at the individual level, but you know, like what we have seen mostly with uh, um, um, uh, micro micro social. Yes. Oh yeah, micro yes, loans. Yes, yes, yes. That, yeah. that really uh, creates you know where people can actually, if they need capital to do something, then they are serving together, and then they can draw some money, and they can actually go and 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 use it. Uh, but also, I think what we have seen is also that we need to help people know how to use money because some of these people do get money, but the way they use it is not, you know, properly, is not proper. And we need to help them to um, spend wisely uh, what they get. Uh, so, yeah, giving people skills, I think, is very important as well. Uh, uh, skills that can help them to actually make make money. So sometimes what the church has done is to come in and teach people how to make soap, you know. Uh, because soap is a basic commodity that people use every day. Uh, so if someone starts to make soap, then people buy from them. Uh, sometimes uh, some will make jam from tomatoes. So you take, uh, so because we have so many things that are 
in the market, and sometimes they're very cheap mm. uh, at a certain time point. Uh, 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 at a certain point in 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 the course of the the year, so those things are sold very cheaply. So if someone can buy them, then and then make something and kind of give a value add them, then they can sell them when those things are not in, in are not are not in supply. So for instance, in Kenya, mm. uh, like the you know their uh, onions, I hear that like in August we always have to bring onions from from uh, Tanzania. So just knowing you know wh- what do we get from you know what is it that we import. How can we ensure that you know at that time, if you are farming, then you actually grow uh, onions and put them in the market and make more from them because mm. you know they are on they are on demand. So I think just mm. creating awareness about opportunities that are there uh, yeah, in the country uh, that would certainly uh, help people. Uh, but also the other thing is with farmers, it's bringing new farming methods so that they can yield more from their crops. Because I think part of what happens is a lot of what we do is subsistence farming, where people get very little mm-hmm. from from their farms. Uh, so if we can have high yield crops, uh, then people can actually we can actually change their lives. But part of it is also structural structural economic issues where we have middlemen who are between farmers and the market, mm-hmm. and they take all the money that the farmers should be yeah. getting. So part of it is really ensuring that as a church we are not just we are not just doing the charity work, but we are actually getting involved in the socioeconomic uh, issues and and really um, uh, helping to to you know creating you know economic justice, you know, which I think is, right. is an important part of, of what the gospel is about. That uh, we shouldn't have people taking money where they they are not they are not working, you know, uh, because here in Kenya we have a lot of middlemen. Uh, when you talk about mm-hmm. flowers, uh, uh, roses, you talk about coffee, you talk about um, um, uh, cotton. I mean, a lot of this, the things we grow here, uh, they are always middlemen and they make more money than the, the farmers who grow them. So the coffee that we you, you would drink and say, you know, this is Kenyan coffee, uh, many of the farmers who mm-hmm. grow it can't afford it. And that's definitely a right. problem. Yeah. Yeah. It all gets exported, yeah, it all gets exported to the exported, West. Yes. Where- we roast it and love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I had a former student who actually uh, built a system for uh, in Central Africa for an SMS system to help uh, farmers know how to commoditize their corn, what, what you call maize, mm-hmm. I should note, uh, corn, mm-hmm. um, to, to help even out the odds with the middleman, uh, basically. Um, okay. And they could do it over a simple text phone, uh, you know, just texting back and forth. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I hear all of this and I think, what does pastoral training, what should it look like there? Like if you could set up your ideal pastoral training, it sounds like you would have like microeconomics would be built yeah. in there, uh, macroeconomics, uh, skill building, agricultural, mm-hmm. like you'd have to have some agricultural savvy. Um, is this stuff you've all learned on the fly or that you've thought about on the fly or is this something that's built into your pastoral training? Actually, it's something that I have had to, you know, like uh, uh, learn uh, uh, on my own. So it wasn't part of the curriculum. But as we have been making our curriculum right now, we are now going to require entrepreneurship uh, as a course that pastors should mm. take uh, because uh, uh, and then even some classes in community development, because pastors, uh, for the most part, end up running these community development projects 
uh, within mm-hmm. the community. Sometimes it's a world project, bringing water to the community, uh, you know. Um, so we, we realized that, for instance, one of the classes I took was a, a class in community health, like public and community, personal and community health, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, because uh, like the book we used in that class was called Where There Is No Doctor. And sometimes pastors in some villages, uh, uh, they become like the doctors, you know, that, that, that right. there is. And so, yes, uh, definitely we can teach everything that there is to be taught. But uh, because we at our school, we have a, it's a liberal arts program. So some of the classes mm. students have to take are taken by every other student. Every, every student has to take those classes as part of their, you know, liberal arts education. So that, in a way, that helps. But a lot of the seminaries and uh, Bible colleges, uh, they still pretty much stick with the, you know, uh, the four disciplines of theology, you know, practice, uh, right. uh, church history, and systematic theology and Bible. Uh, so, but yes, it's something that we really need to 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 teach, uh, so that pastors, in many ways, pastors are not able to take care of themselves. So if you give a pastor, you know, entrepreneurship, and they're able to find something they can do in the community, then the pastor can stay in the ministry because he can feed his family. Mm. Um, yeah. And it, it sounds like, if nothing else, the the liberal arts training, which, of course, we're big fans of that here, um, the liberal arts training just gives the pastor the imagination to see the situation differently. Definitely. Uh, and to possibly see yeah, definitely. Like the, the Holy so, Spirit. Like one of the class that. class that I had to take was a class in sociology, you know, just understanding society mm. and development of society. Uh, yeah. So some of those things, yes, I, I also picked them from when I was an undergraduate. Uh, yeah. Well, when I have a scholar from outside of the United States, uh, I love to ask them the question, how do you see the American church specifically? And so I, I wonder what more specifically, um, what do you see that you really value about the American church, as far as you can tell? Um, and then what do you see that concerns you uh, in the American church, if you could speak to us brothers and sisters over here? Mm-hmm. Okay, I think the first one is easy. <laughs> uh, I think I'll talk about the generosity of the American church. I think uh, we, I, I would not be, I would not be talking to you right now if it weren't for the mm-hmm. generosity of the American church. So. Um, whether it's you talk about missionaries who have come uh, and taught uh, in our schools or people who have generously given to support education uh, of pastors. And uh, mm. so definitely, I, would, I think uh, without doubt, I'll just mention the fact that uh, the American church is a generous church. And if there's anything that we should learn from it, we should learn to be generous as, as the American church. Mm. Uh, and uh, realizing that some the people who give, you know, even though we think you are well, <laughs> Americans are wealthy, uh, getting to know some of the people. I have some friends uh, that, you know, these people are not super wealthy. They are not super rich, but they're generous people who give out, you know, mm-hmm. out of what they have, not because they have a lot. They have more than they can, they need. So I think that's, that's what I would talk about. The fact that, uh, there is, there is mm-hmm. generosity. <sighs> what concerns me? <laughs> that's a difficult one. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, right. but I think it's good to hear. I think it's good to hear your wisdom. Um, I think I think uh, you have to be careful about uh, allowing society to shape uh, the church 
um, the concerns of society must not be the concerns of the church. I think that's uh, that's what I would mm-hmm. say that uh, the the values of the gospel should remain the values of the gospel. The values of society should mm-hmm. remain the values of society. And um, I know we can go different directions with that, but uh, that's what I would mm-hmm. say that in a way we have to be careful. I say to you, as I said to us, because some of the things that you are dealing with is a matter of time before we start dealing with them. So mm-hmm. <laughs> in a yeah. way, uh, no, uh, we, are, we, 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 we definitely, of course, need to navigate and learn from you how you are doing it. But uh, I think I would, um say we 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 need to ensure that we we stay true to the gospel and uh, to its its ethics and uh not 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 uh, go so much with what society values yeah yeah right because, and that that yeah. critique can or concern can cut both ways yeah. both uh conservative and what we call liberal yeah. um it can yeah we, yes. we go all directions yes yes yes, yes yeah. yeah because sometimes uh you find you know conservatives are way on the one side and then they don't listen to some things that liberals say so yes i think the answer is supposed mm-hmm. to be found somewhere in between yes yeah, yeah. well mm-hmm. dr gift uh um, yes, yeah. if i well said, said that correctly well said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh Dr. Gift Umtukwa, thank you so much uh, for your wisdom and your time and your leadership in the church. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Biblical Mind Podcast, exploring the deep structures of Christian scripture. For more, visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org. Subscribe to this podcast at all the usual places so you never miss an episode. 